Welcome to the SDR Disco Call vidcast and podcast, a show designed for brand new sales reps working in the world of tech sales. I'm your host, Neil Buyan, and I'm going to be taking you on a journey on the SDR Disco Call vidcast and podcast. Did you know that you can watch this show live with the guests on YouTube? This show is available on YouTube at happyselling.io. Today we have a special episode of the SDR Disco Core vidcast and podcast. Hello listeners, watchers and subscribers. Welcome to another chapter of the SDR Disco Core show. If you stumbled across this show for the first time, this show is built for sales development reps working in the world of tech sales and I'm your host Neil Buyan. And my job is to find interesting people that work within the tech industry and specifically around sales to learn more about their journey. How do they get into this and share insights to help you become what I call happy sellers. And with this guest, this has been a long time coming. And in my opinion, this person is quite a sales celebrity and somebody I've been waiting to get on this show. And a true fact, uh, this person was one of the original sponsors of the SDR Disco Call show about two or three years ago. So it's kind of come full circle, and now we have this person on the show. So without further ado, guest, could you please introduce yourself? Who are you, sir? Hi, Neil. Um, yeah, I'm Mark Akers, co-founder and head of sales at My Sales Coach, and probably best known uh, in this arena for co-writing the book Problem Prospecting. Thank you very much, Mark, and welcome to the show. And we will be getting into Problem Prospecting a little bit later, because funny enough, uh, I've actually got my copy here right now, and we've put links in for this in the show notes. Uh, but Mark, could you advise, uh, what is it that you currently do at My Sales Coach, and where are you based in the world, sir? So let's start with based, because the accent might throw people off. Um, it's it's an Essex accent, but I've been up in Newcastle upon time for, well, let's call it the North East, because I've been around the North East as well, but for I think it's like 18 years, so quite a long time. Um, in terms of what I do at my sales coach, do you mean in terms of my role and, um, or do you mean what the business does? Both. So let's start with what you do and then what does a business do? Sure. So I'm co-founder of the business, which is a, a new uh, experience for me, which we've been doing this for a while now, which has been, which been great. Happy to talk about that. In terms of what I do day to day, head up sales, so new 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 logo uh with new logo um in terms of the business i'll tell you the problems that we help solve they're problems really close to my heart and why i was so keen to, to co-found this business and solve this problem it's a problem i've tried to solve for about eight years now with, with another company um sales is a skill there's no denying that it took me far too long in my career to figure that out um and i only figured that out when i started getting coaching and that's a real like eureka, epiphany, crossroads, sliding doors moment, whatever you want to call it. It's when I had my first coaching session. Um, I know that it's a skill. I know that now. Um, and to unlock that skill, the number one thing that you can have is a great coach. Here's mm -hmm. the problem. Most sales professionals don't have access to a great coach. They have managers. Those managers were almost certainly a great rep, a top performer that got promoted, that doesn't make them a great coach. And even those that have the best will in the world as managers to be great coaches, it doesn't mean mm. they've got the time 
to do that either, to do that consistently and regularly and do that with no biasness, no agenda, because you know they're the boss. They, they've got a number to hit. So mm-hmm. sales coaching isn't happening as often as we should. We're changing that. We're making sales coaching available as a service for individuals who can sign up and get matched to a coach that could help them achieve the goal that's been set of them and fulfill their potential, um, as well as organizations that can gift them a team with additional coaching from uh, a source of expert sales coaches that are available on demand to help them hit the goals that's been set of them, fulfill their potential. Um, so that's that's the mission. Uh, so mm. I'm very passionate about it. So co-founded the business uh, last year, officially launched at the start of this year. And say I head up the sales, sales team. There's, there's four of us in the sales team. Uh, so yeah, that's me. I love that. And if anything, I heard these great words last year and I'll talk about why I passionately agree with you and believe in that. And we'll, we'll dive into that a little bit later. But thank you for giving us the context. And a question that I'd love to ask all my guests, uh, Mark, is outside of sales, and probably for some people that may want to prospect in the future, what are your hobbies? What are your interests? What do you like to do outside of sales, sir? So the number one thing for me, top and bottom, is, is family. So that's my little boy who's just turned five, and my wife, mm-hmm. keen to spend as, as much time with them as possible because I spend a lot of time away from them by working. So when I get time, they're above mm-hmm anything else and just having time together i like to do stuff i'm not very comfortable just sat in the house that can be going to like you know a park a national trust it can be going swimming cinema whatever but it's time with my family um Mm. that said time to yourself is really important so big football fan like there'd be no shocks there you know a bloke (laughs) from england likes football um but (laughs) i've just started i say just started probably got to drop that because i've been trying for about maybe two years now golf um mm. pretty bad at it but i'm told i've got potential um by someone um who, who took me out recently um but yeah try trying to get better at golf uh and i quite i quite like uh, wine and food there we are i love it. i've learned a couple of new things about you there mark and as you said you know you're not great at it uh, but you have a coach. I guess you have a golf coach, which is helping you to become a better golf professional. Is that right? So, points, I've had three. I've had um, okay. my local golf club. Um, he, he's been coaching me, but the golf course, like locally in my little town, isn't very long. So then I've got another coach yeah. specifically for the driver. Um, and then my friend's dad, he didn't tell me this, but he's, he's 70, so... Um, almost double my age. Um, hmm. He he's golf. He golfs like three, four times a week. And I met him, um, my friend's son's birthday party. I said, "Take us out for a round. Like you could teach me loads of stuff." He took me out, yeah. taught me loads. Um, and then at the very end, you know, he never said this, but at the very end, went to the golf club for a drink. His photo was on the wall. He's the president of the golf club. Really humble about it. And I was just like, "We're going out again." So. Yeah. I'm going to be taking more lessons from him. Um, so, yeah, I've got a few people that are helping there because I couldn't figure that out on my own. It's so difficult. <laughs> well, fair play. And it's a good point having multiple coaches for different aspects of it and being able to go to to different people. I think, again, this is a topic we can definitely dive into when it comes around to sales coaching. 
but as a gentle reminder for our listeners, watchers, and subscribers, if you're listening to this in your local podcast platform, please make sure that you give us a rating, subscribe, and share this episode if it brings you comfort and joy. And equally, if you're watching this on our YouTube channel, please make sure that you like, comment, and subscribe down below. Uh, as most of you who are familiar people to this show, what we like to do at this point is visit our guest's LinkedIn profile. And what we want to figure out is where has this person been? What do they get up to? And, you know, what are they all about when it comes to LinkedIn? So with Mark Akers, you've had a lot of experiences. You're somebody who's highly active on social media and on LinkedIn as well. But you've got a wealth of experiences. So we can see, you know, you've worked in the world of marketing. Uh, you've worked at a company called The Test Factory. You've been a sales and marketing event, uh, manager. You've been an events manager. You've worked at the cool company Refract slash now Allego. You're a sales coach at Trainio. You've done stuff with Sales Impact Academy. You've been a book author on a number one bestseller, which I actually have a physical copy of me right now. And most recently, we get to work together at a super cool company called My Sales Coach. Now, Mark, without sounding like a boring job interview, in your own words, sir, could you walk us through like how did it all begin? Where did you start and how did you get to where you are today, sir? So I think about this every so often, actually. I, I think my journey is a result of risks that have paid off. And, you know, a little bit like sports betting, you only ever hear about the good ones, right? I'm, I'm sure mm. there's loads of things I've done that haven't worked out, but I think... It actually is an important step beforehand was university. So I grew up always being told I'd, I'd go to university. It was like a, an expectation. That's what you would do, right? So it was always in my mind. Had a bit of a wall. Didn't want to go. Turned eight, so I'm a July, um, I'm a July baby, so to speak. So mm. go to university in September. I just turned 18 in July. I thought Southend on sea was the be-all and end-all of the world. Didn't mm. want to leave there. I just turned 18, started going out to a nightclub. Very famous, it used to be called Tots, uh, Talk of the South, and then just talk. Loved it there, didn't mm. want to leave. And, and my dad said, you know, so I was the last year that I got my fees for a flat £1,500 a year, sympathise with everyone that went mm. to university after because it started to spiral out of control. Wow. I just said to my dad, <laughs> I had, I don't think I'm going to go to university. I think I'm going to be a year out. And uh, my dad says, mm. if you go in this year, it's £1,500 a year flat. Mm. I'm going to pay that. If you're going next year, it's four and a half grand a year. You could pay it. And I was like, oh, I'd left all the open days, didn't want to go. So that was sort of my plan, really, to miss all the open days. There was two left, um, University of Derby, University of Sunderland, I didn't really want to go to either. Um, ended up picking the one that was furthest away because it had Premier League football and I thought I'd go and watch football <laughs> up at university. Yeah. And the reason that's poignant is because a couple of years later, I took another risk in the sense of we did a placement year. So it's like a sandwich course, like a four-year uni degree. With the yeah. third year, you go on placement. I got a job. Uh, um, yeah, the Northeast firm. It's on my LinkedIn profile. There's no point naming them. I was really unhappy yeah. there. I was only there for a month. It wasn't a role that I really enjoyed. Literally called up the careers office, said, I've made a mistake. Mm. And they said, well, university starts on Monday. You're going to have to come back. Yeah. And they said, unless, unless you want an interview at Sunderland Football Club. Okay. And I said, well, well, of course I do. 
So okay. I, took the, I took the risk in handing my notice in at this place. That was awkward because they didn't want to lose me in the sense of I was a student. It just didn't reflect well on the company that student placement comes in and leaves. So they tried to convince me to stay. Hmm. said I needed to leave. I went for this interview with someone in football club. Um, I got the job and it was literally, a, I'm either going back to uni and I'll be, out of, sync with my, I'll be out of sync with my friends yeah. or I've got this job. I was the last person they saw. It turns out one of them didn't want to give me the job because they felt it was unfair that I'd come mm. in last minute and I was going But this other woman, um, unfortunately, she's died now. God rest her soul. But she mm. she said, like, you have to give it to him. Whatever, whatever word she said, like, you've got to give it to him. Yeah. I got the job. And the reason that's poignant is because then when I went back to uni, after then I applied for jobs, but there was one guy from a company I've never heard of called Kevin Bills <laughs> who was saying to me, I want to interview you for a company called The Test Factory. Mm. And, you know, I had no interest in this interview, right? I, yeah. I, I, didn't want to, I didn't want to go. The test factory sounded really boring. This guy called Kevin Bills was actually constantly chasing me, like, when can when can I see you? What I didn't know was he had worked at the football club prior mm. to me. We, we never overlapped time-wise. Yeah. He, he picked up the phone to my old boss, said, I found this CV on my desk because he was looking for a graduate. What's he like? Again, mm. she obviously said some good stuff. I'm sure she said some bad stuff as well, but probably didn't know <laughs> like that. He yeah. then like insisted that I, I met him for an interview. I took that risk. I didn't need to. Like I actually travelled all the way back up to the northeast to meet him. Mm. Met him at the hotel. I, I was really a little bit incon inconvenient for him. I didn't mm. go to his offices. Made him come to me because I didn't mm. want his interview. Um, yeah. He offered me the job. I then started working there. He's been an incredibly important person in my in my career, and, and I think it's yeah. fair to say life. Yeah. Um, I will start to speed this story up now. But yeah. basically, I worked there for five years. I took a risk to leave, went and worked somewhere else. I failed there. Like It wasn't terrible, but I didn't do very well. That was mm. a first proper, proper sales job. Really realized that as well. Mm. I took another leap, went to a startup company, had success there. Um, and then Kev got in touch. Did I want to go and join him at Refract? Mm. It, that that's led to me co-founding business, the next business with my sales coach. But so so much of this all just plays out from like these leaps. Like you know, so for example, I met my wife at the last year of uni. Really? If I didn't go there, I wouldn't have met her. If yeah. I didn't get a job, I wouldn't have met her. I wouldn't have met Kev, etc. So yeah, quite a bit. Um, don't know if that's too much information. No, that that that's that's nice. And I think there's like things that I want to pick apart and you know get more insight into. But I can definitely attest to that Kevin Bill's magnetic attraction. He pops up and he just asks you those questions of, "Do you want to join this cool ride thing?" Because I've experienced that with him as well. <clears throat> but I think what would be really interesting also is, you know, working for a football club as that young lad before meeting Kev and, you know, getting the, the vouch by that lovely lady that got you in there, what was your role? What was you initially doing at Sunderland? Yeah. So really important lesson for me, Sunderland Football Club. First of all, I was a dog's body. And I don't mind that. Do you know what I mean? Like you, you got to start somewhere. And when I say dog's body, I mean like literally I did all the jobs no one wanted. Hmm. Those jobs include every week. Like you, you'd think a computer would do this in 2008. 
But every week I'd handwrite all the press passes that were coming to the game and put them in a little folder. Every day, without foul, every morning and every afternoon, I have to read every paper. So in the morning, it was every paper in the country, like in terms of national newspapers, broadsheet and tabloid. Every afternoon, I'd have to read every northeast local paper, looking for anything and everything related to the football club. I'd have to hand cut that out. I'd then photocopy it one by one, put it together and bind it for about 10 people. Hmm. Did that twice a day. And like there was times where I missed a story that was like, wasn't on the back pages. It was like in the gossip column. Hmm. Uh, oh, God, it's such trouble. Um, <laughs> and then I basically primarily bought into help with marketing, like getting all, all the rubbish stuff with marketing. Help with accounts, like key account management, again, all, all the unglamorous stuff. Like it might sound glamorous, like but it was like sending signed shirts and memorabilia and mm. helping charities get whatever they need and answering fa- fan mail. Um, and then PR. PR was like, you know, I did really cool things like I took the players around to to sick children at Christmas to give out gifts and oh, nice. I, yeah, like match day I looked after competition winners and I took players for post-match interviews again sounds mental really Premier League mm. club an 18 year old lad was going in to the to players tunnel getting players to go for interviews mm. um, and like there were times where it was just me and I literally had posters of him on my wall as a kid Roy Keane like just mm. in the room whilst I'm telling him like some of the questions he might get asked about I'm not really having a clue what's saying, but did a mix of things <laughs> there. But yeah. I, I nearly lost my job there as well actually okay um, so, so here's the lesson. I I just didn't make any effort of anybody. I I felt like I and I think that's imposter syndrome. Mm. I felt like the dog's body. I felt beneath everybody else. I mean, for context, I was paid eleven thousand pounds of the year. Right. Mm. I, that didn't even cover like my bills. Right? Yeah. So like, I, I, so I, I definitely had imposter syndrome. But when it was things like people were asking me, "What did you get up to the weekend?" people's birthdays in the office mm. i sort of just stepped back and sort of felt like i'm not one of you i'm a placement mm. like i'll be front and center singing happy birthday i you don't want to hear about my weekend and yeah. the reality was you know their weekends were kind of what mine are now go to the park with the kids um <laughs> go for dinner with your wife mine was like they sit in my pants playing fifa and going out and eating, you know, <laughs> Like, yeah. So I felt like I couldn't tell them that. Hmm. But how that was perceived was that I was really rude. I made no effort. I was like just like someone that didn't try. Hmm. And I know they were going to get rid of me. But this new guy started called Joe. And Joe basically, look, let me let me have a word of him. And he sort of put his arm around me and said, look, you do need to like just make an effort with people. Hmm. And I was like, oh, I'd love to do that. But I didn't think people would care. Yeah. So then I started to really make an effort of everybody and I, I left with some really good friends that I'm still friends with today. And my leaving card, like they stuck extra sheets of paper in it. Like, I've got incre- incredible send off. And yeah. well, one of the people actually I co-wrote the book with, Stuart Taylor. So mm. yeah, like again, it's, it's, it's funny really, like, but I was I, I learned a lot there. The thing about football club now is I learn about different businesses because Football club has print and design business, has a conference and banqueting business, has a marketing business, a PR business. It has a ticket office business. 
it has yeah. football um and it has different people and i think this was a key thing that i learned from 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 a sales perspective is on any given day i could speak to a fan i could speak to a charity and, and that's actually voluntary they're not customers they're fans mm. right yeah so they're very emotional about this particularly in the north east like i don't think people really understand it unless they live in the north east like it is life yeah. and death right like, yeah. fans I'll speak to charities. I'll speak to um, uh, sponsors. I would speak to colleagues. I would speak to people on the board. I would speak to my childhood hero. I would speak to football players, you know, that weren't much older than me, but absolute multimillionaires. Mm. Um, and I had to change how I spoke to all those people. And that yeah. was something that I couldn't do at the start. I just didn't really speak mm. to anybody. I, I learned over that year. You speak to a fan, you got you can speak like this. If you're speaking yeah. to someone that does the um, the drinks on a match day, you you can talk to them in a different way. If you're speaking to yeah. um, someone like Niall Quinn, right? Who, who I think mm. I can't remember who that was, but he would have been like CEO, chief executive officer, something like that. Um, yeah, speak to him differently, you know. So, that, and that was a really important skill for me. That and being comfortable being around people and, and, and whatnot. So, yeah, it was a really important time there, which led to me meeting Kev, who mm. has given me two jobs and then co founded the business with me. I love that. I love it. I'm curious to know, like, um, obviously, you had an agreement or deal with your dad when you were deciding of, okay, what am I going to do after my 18th birthday? Which one am I going to go? Whilst you were working there and you were doing all those cool things and you were learning a lot within that internship. When you was coming towards the end of that, what was the conversation like with your dad about what's next before, you know, you agreed to move forward with Kevin at Test Factory? I feel like, in truth, my dad's not really, like, had as... He would deny this passionately and think it was really unfair. <laughs> but, like, I've yeah. never really had, like, a close relationship with him when it comes to my career. Academically, hmm. very supportive. And I think that's, that's really evident. Like, I did okay at GCSEs. I actually couldn't even tell you what I got for some of them. It was so long ago. Hmm. A-levels, a I, I did well. I got like um, my student of the year and all that. So I was very academic. University, I got um, only five people got this. I got first-class honours, as did my wife, because we worked together and that's how we met. And I got hmm. the highest average marks on the course again. And I, I'm, I'm not particularly bright. I just academically, I sort of could work hard and I had a lot of pressure to work hard. Um, mm. When it comes to my career, my dad's from a very different world to me. Yeah, you know, he was yeah. he, he he was highly regarded in the in the banking industry. Very different world to me. I've met people that like cannot believe they've been in his presence, had lunch with him, been in a meeting with him. You know, mm. I'm just like it's for dad. What are you on about? You know. Um, <laughs> when, it to, when it comes to my career, I think it is just such a different world. And we've never really, and that might sound sad, but it's just I never really bonded over my career. We don't really talk about it. Um, hmm. So, yeah, I think that probably comes into a later part that we may or may not talk about around like me yeah. not really valuing the career that I had at the start and being embarrassed to be in sales as well. And we'll definitely come to that. And I think I can relate in some similar ways as well with my father where, so he was an accountant worked in the world of finance right and every 
career decision that I made. He always said it was a wrong thing and I should not be doing that and I should be going doing something else, especially when it came to university. I turned around to him and said, I never want to do it. It's not something that interests me. I want to go into the working world. <clears throat> and going into sales, that completely sent shivers down his spine. And he said, it's cutthroat, you know, it's very tough. Like I know a lot of people that have worked in it and they've just not ended up anywhere good in life. Um, and even me launching my own business, he was dead against it. <laughs> And the only thing he ever wants to know now is, like, again, to your point, we haven't really bonded, but he just wants to know at a high level, are you earning enough money to look after yourself? And are you doing okay? That's all he wants to know from a father's perspective to his son. So I can kind of attest to that. We don't bond over it, but he just asks the important questions of, can you eat? And, you know, it's quite funny. But, you know, now coming back into the next phase with, all right, so Kevin Bills, uh, you're this young lad. That's been really difficult to get into an interview travel up north on your terms and you land into the test factory um could you tell us what was that journey like and to to also answer the question that we want to know is why were you embarrassed to be in sales at the start mark yeah so so i was embarrassed to be in sales at the start because i was always told that i should be in sales and i never liked the reason <laughs> so my at university particularly like probably as far back as my memory goes, but people would say, you need to be in sales, you should be in sales. There's all those cliches, you know, sales, snow to an Eskimo, whatever the other ones are, right? But I never really liked it. It was just Mark's got the gift of the gap. And I, mm. I think I relate that to, and your audience probably won't get the reference, Neil. I think you will. I dealt with in the market, right? Only fools and horses. Okay. <laughs> it's yeah. like, that's not a skill, the gift of the gap okay, I can talk to people. I think I think strength of mine that people, is storytelling. And I think that is a key sales skill. Mm. But I, I would always be the one that would tell a story um, or tell a joke that was a story-based joke. But And, and, and ultimately, I would like, in university, would probably go where I wanted to go on a night out. I would sort of, like, nickname was Sarge because I would organize stuff. Equally, I'd argue... If I didn't organize it, it'd never bloody happen. But people mm. say to me, you should be in sales. You're a natural salesman, gift of the gap. And I it's just not like that because I felt like I was more than that. And then when I finished university, I've got, so I've got a, a degree in marketing. That's what I wanted mm. to do. I've got a marketing degree. Why wouldn't I go and get a job in marketing? And then I went for a yeah. number of interviews. And I think hoodwinked is fair. They're advertised as like marketing roles. You get there. And it was a sales role. And like you had like KPIs <laughs> yeah. and targets. And and I just I felt like, why is it so difficult to get a marketing job? Why am I being hoodwinked into sales jobs? And I, I wasn't prepared to turn my back on my degree that I spent four years getting to go and get a sales mm. job, which I felt like I could have got straight out of college. Um yeah. so you imagine it was difficult for me. I think it was a year into the test factory, deciding to work in sales. Um, yeah. So I started off in marketing. Um, I enjoyed it. You know, I think I think I've got a creative mind when I want to have one, and I, I enjoy. Uh, what do I enjoy about? I I enjoy expressing myself. But Kevin, in particular, again, you know, say really it is really important that you map out all the how he sort of nudged me down this path to to where I'm at. He wanted me to try mm. being in sales. And at the time, my other co-author, 
that you might be thinking, how many are there? There's three of us. I recall for Reed yeah. Smith, he was working at Test Factory at the time. He was cold calling, booking meetings, I think, I think 20 quid a meeting, something like that. Not money, mm. particularly. Yeah. yeah. And I don't mind sharing. I was on 15 grand, right? This lad, yeah. I sit next to him. He's booking meetings. Some weeks it was like 100, 140 quid. He was getting booking meetings. And I used to watch yeah. you. And I think, I can do that. I, I can do what you're doing. I'm not saying I can do it as well, mm. but I can do that. And the bit that I felt, I, I think I think the feeling is like slightly hard done by was that, not all of it, like Rich was amazing at picking up the phone and, and, and making it happen for himself. But there were leads coming yeah. in, right? Like the phone was ringing. People were downloading and raising their hands and he was calling them up. And, I, and that was me, right? That was my job. When I joined, the phone never rung. Within six months, it'd be rare the phone didn't ring once a day. It'd be rare people didn't raise their hands and download something or, or whatever. Yeah. And I thought, well, I'm doing that bit. I can definitely do that bit. And I'm doing all of it. So why don't I do mm. that? And I had that chat with Kev about basically, can I get some commission for the leads that I generate? And he said, no. <laughs> yeah. Look, if you want commission, you have to be in sales. Like, that's the top and bottom of it. And he said, yeah. here's the good news. I think you could do that job. Do you want to do it? And I shit myself. I said, no. I, yeah. I turned down jobs to do doing that. I don't want to do it. And he gave yeah. me, and again, this is key to my career, because he gave me a transitional period. He said, okay, okay, here's what I want you to do. I want you to create an event in London. I want you to market the hell out of it but I want you to sell tickets. Hmm. I can't remember how much the tickets were. Let's let's call it. No, in fact, I, I think the tickets were free, which I think yeah. your prediction is harder to give away sometimes. Um, mm -hmm. Maybe they were a nominal amount, five quid or whatever. But basically, I corrected the um, test factory on one test. It was called um, Tests in the City or Tests and the City. It was a play on Sex and the City. I don't know if yeah. that show X and the city or sex in the city. I don't know what it's called, but it was tests <laughs> and the city, whatever that's called. Yeah. And um, I sold something like 50 tickets, 60 tickets to this event. But that was me. Like I put it on LinkedIn. I put it in our newsletter. People were raising their hand. I was then calling them up, like cold calling them saying, yep, this event's coming. Do you want to come? Can I put you down for a ticket? I can't remember if I took money or not, but I definitely kept chasing them up and I was emailing them. And you'll be there, you'll be there, won't you? Right. Mm. And it was. It was this, I mean, it was a half decent event, to be fair. It was in a beautiful hotel in, in London. Bacon sandwiches, coffees, and whatnot, and some presentations around uh, something to do with tests. Mm -hmm. But I remember something like 60 people turned up, something like that. And whatever commission I was on, I, I earned over a thousand pounds again to put that in context i was on 15 for the year right? yeah i had a thousand pounds in the morning we both know i put more work into it in that morning but mm -hmm. and i remember just thinking i can do this and i went mm -hmm. home that night i lived with my then and granddad mm -hmm. at the time um sorry not the time because i'd moved away but before i moved away i was living with them so yeah was, when i went home it was to my nan and granddad's and my nan and granddad you know like what Worked hard, but real 
like you know, low low level entry job. My my nan worked in a cigarette kiosk in Sainsbury's a whole career. Like literally just stood there selling cigarettes. Mm. And my granddad was a long distance lorry driver. I said to him like, "You will not believe what's happened today." My event went really mm. well because in London, so I went home. I'm going to take mm. you both out for dinner tonight. Like, no, mm. you can't. You can't do that. You, like, you know, like disbelief. I was like, no, trust me, I can. Guess how much money yeah. you've given today? And my nan mm. was like, that's more than I'd earn in a month. I was like, I oh, know. Mm. Where are we going? Mm. So we went to this favourite <laughs> restaurant. You know, <laughs> like, pub. You know, the Bell Restaurant in Rettington, I think it's called. But like, mm-hmm. that sort of was just a, a moment for me of like, this is what is possible and then basically i started to organize more events i got the taste for it um and then i started to transition to like one day a week i would do you'd call it sdring bdring now it wasn't called that when i did it it's like doing that one day yeah. a week um and then eventually you know i, I woke up and like shit i do this five days a week like i'm in sales um but that, yeah. that led to that there was no clear start point so i never really told my family that I was in sales and I had mm. this almost like I'd given up and I'd taken the gift of the gag job to earn money. Yeah. And I felt like if my dad knew what I was really doing, like cold calling people and emailing yeah. people, he would look down on me. And, and that's, that's all my own problem in my own head or what was, I should yeah. say. And it took me years yeah. to realize that. But when people ask what I used to say, I was in marketing. Like I just, I just kept with my, like, you know, no, no one would ever know. I was in, I was in uh, Sunderland at the time, um, and didn't really talk about that about it. So, yeah, really long answer to what I suppose asked the question of why, but that's the reason why I sort of was shied away from being in sales and didn't appreciate. Mm. Oh, I love, I love that Rodders. So, but you could kind of see it as you know. You was that young guy where you felt like you was being a Dell boy in your Robin Reliant, making some extra cash here and there, making like a grand, like more than some of your family members had done. And maybe it was a dirty little secret and it kind of felt wrong. But as you said, it was one of the defining points as to you realizing you could do it because you had that element of, I don't know if I can do what Richard's doing, but I'm going to have a go. You go to Kevin saying, well, I want to do what I currently do and earn commission. He's like, no, unless you go into sales that's not going to happen. But I, I love that bit of giving you a transitional contract. So here's a deal, put this event on, see if this is something you can do. And it was kind of giving you like a test period and the experience to see, could you do this? And is there any longevity to it? Which I think a lot of sales leaders could look at because I think a lot of sales leaders expect, you know, but predominantly this audience being SDRs and BDRs is they come in, they do some prospecting, and then they want to go into a closing role. Having that nice transitional, do you want to test this out before you fully commit it? I think a lot of leaders could learn from that, right? Um, but there was another bit that, now this is maybe going into the personal side of it, and I'd love to know your thoughts, of I've just earned a grand in a day, right? And you go to your nan, and you say, look how much freaking money that I've made. They're like, what? Yeah, what the hell is that? And I remember my early days, there's two points of this. A lot of people coming into sales have to deal with a new type of wealth, a wealth they may have never experienced before. And the first thing that we think about when we get a bit of extra cash in our pocket, Mark, is let's go treat our family to a meal, which is an amicable thing to do, right? Others may be like, oh, I want to finally go get those new Nikes, or I want to go buy that season ticket for that football club that I support and love. 
And the one thing that I've tried to tell a lot of SDRs is when you get that first paycheck, know how to budget and know how to manage your wealth. And sometimes I would say this is HR's job to do because some people may be getting commissioned for the first time. Some people might be getting a bump in their salary. Some people might be getting equity or shares within a business, right? But if you've never experienced that life, there should be somebody coaching you to do that. So as a former manager, I used to teach this stuff to my reps to tell them, you know, get your pay 50%, save it on one side. With that 50%, think about your outgoings for the month, then think about a rainy day, and then whatever you've got left over that, that's your disposable income. But coming back to the question that I want to ask you, is sometimes when your friends and family see you in sales and start earning this extra dosh, some people say money changes people. And I used to believe that, but I now think money changes the people around you. Because when you start earning or you start living in a certain industry or field, you start associating yourself with other people and you start climbing up and up and up. So you may be working with some salespeople, then you start working with sales leaders, then you start working with co-founders, then you start working with investors. So money doesn't change you, but it changes the people around you. But I'd love to know what are your thoughts on about money and how it changes people? So I think you raise a very good point. Like if you're earning more money, it's likely because you're climbing the ladder and you climb the ladder, you meet other people, other doors open to you. Mm. Um, I don't believe money changes people. I just believe it enhances who they are. That, that's honestly what I believe. I, I believe if if you're like not a nice person, you're probably not a nice mm. person and money will make you a worse person. Um, so, yeah, I, 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 I think if you're a wonderful person money will let you do wonderful things um, mm. and vice versa, right? But yeah, I, I don't think money changes people. I think it enhances who they really are. The qualities uh, already exist in them. Yeah. yeah. So you're right. You know, I think if you're somebody who's very generous and you love to give and you like to help people out, if you then have more money, you're able to do more philanthropic thing, charitable things, you're probably going to do more of that. And yeah, if you're a dick, you're going to be more selfish and you're going to be more cutthroat and stuff. So yeah, I think it enhances qualities that are already in there. But I equally think it's very important if you're coming into the profession of sales, getting some financial intelligence behind you. Because when you get that pay slip and you see an extra couple of zeros, you're like, right, all right, I want to go buy something. I want to go on an holiday. You've got to think about the long term as well, right? But um, coming back to yourself, uh, you know, as you said, you was working with these other co-authors that help you write something. So I'm just going to quickly share my screen um, because I want to talk about the topic of problem prospecting. So for somebody that's worked in sales, I've been, you know, a sales trainer and a lot of people come to me saying, well, what books should I be reading on? And truth be told, I'm going to be very honest here. I've never really been a reader. I don't like reading. It's just not for me. I love watching more than I like reading. So I may get a book and get an audio version of it. But when this book came out, then again, I've got the physical copy here. And this is actually a book that I've bought many SCR teams that I've actually managed and trained. And people harp on about this book. like It's like a Bible for SDRs, uh, BDRs. And a lot of account executives also have this book as well. Um, and it was, you know, every time I was meeting new SCRs, teams said, oh, no, have you heard this book, Problem Prospect? And it just kept coming up. And I was like, yes, I've heard it. I've heard it. I've heard it. And it got to that point. I was like, oh, I need to go buy it because I need to see what the hell everyone's talking about. And another fun fact is this book was, when it first came out, was one of the first ever sponsors 
of this show. So I'm very grateful for that. But Mark, tell me at a high level, how did this book come about? Who is this book for? And what have you seen since you've released this book with your co-authors? Yeah, so it is always like a, just a little bit humbling to hear someone talk about the book. Like I, 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 I never want people to think I, and I know I can still mark Richard Stewart, but take for granted what what we've achieved. And I, I sometimes do have to like re remember like it has helped a lot of people. And sometimes I feel like again I think it's that imposter syndrome. You think I should doorstop for the whole thing, but paper way um i suppose we don't need to go into it now but there's a key piece in between me starting sales and writing this book and that is being coached and becoming in love with the profession that mm. leads this book but i suppose to, to skip to that here's what happened covid we me rich and Stu, were all passionate about the profession of sales and like we we were we were right, you know, we we were okay at, at it. Um COVID happened and I mean the the business I worked for at the time, we, we had five weeks or so, it was really scary. Like, mm. is this the end? You know, like no one knows what COVID is gonna be and do to the yeah. world. And and here's what we started to realise. I mean, look, you could argue the best sales reps didn't get furloughed. You can argue that, right? But that that's not who this is for, right? Mm. That's not who this is for. This is for people in sales that all of a sudden were furloughed or working from home, right? The elite, as I say, they're, they're, they're not furloughed. They're still out there selling. But mm. there are lots of sales reps that are scared working from home. And let's, let's be real here. When you say working from home... It's probably their mum and dad's house for a lot of them. It's their it's their bedroom. It's their kitchen counter. It's not an office. Um, they're working from home or they're furloughed, not knowing what the hell furloughed means, when they're coming back. I can't remember the truth remember, but I think it was like 80% of your salary, 60%. I can't remember what people were mm -hmm. on. Um, but we knew lots of people needed help. They were either furloughed and scared and worried or they're working remotely without a manager, without a sales floor, without colleagues that they could really learn from and engage with. Like, like I always think about, imagine starting a job as an SDR, mm. like at the start of COVID and still working and, and not knowing what to do. So I, I do believe the credit for the first webinar goes to Rich Smith, right? He said, I'm pretty sure of this, we should do a webinar, the three of us, um, where we basically share tips and tricks. And the reality was we were thinking that'd be good for LinkedIn, personal mm. brands. Personal brands did play a big part, still do, into our success as individuals. Why don't we do a webinar for those that are now furloughed, those that are working from home, that, that don't know what we know. And that's yeah. that's not an ego thing. That's the reality, right? Anybody that's been in sales for, let's say, five years, cool, the amount you know compared to someone new to the role. Mm. Anyone that's been in sales for 15 years, the amount you know to someone who's been in the role for seven years, whatever. We thought the amount we know collectively about sales is a lot. Mm. Why don't we create a webinar, but let's do one that we'd want to go to. 
Hmm. Let's not do a presentation. Let's not do theory. Let's do actionable advice. So we created this webinar and, and the ploy was like, let's record calls. Um, sorry, not record, play call recordings. Sorry, I thought I should say. Let's play call recordings. Let's show emails that have had responses. Let's play voice notes. Let's role play an objection. We put it on LinkedIn and, and we honestly, like, I think we said to each other, like 50 people register, hmm. maybe 18 will turn up. That'd be a good afternoon, right? Um, and then I think like four or five times, Rich had to upgrade the Zoom because people just kept registering. And wow. Registering. No paid spend, nothing. It was just on LinkedIn. Yeah. We, we didn't have half as many followers as what we've got now. Um, anyway, comes to... I think it was Thursdays at three o'clock comes to like two fifty-five on a Thursday. And we've got like over a thousand people. Jesus. Ready to come in. Yeah. Maybe just you like, lip and heck. Like, yeah. <laughs> like, this is so funny. I hoovered me lounge carpet because I thought yeah. these many junior coming into me, into my lounge. <laughs> right? so, well, Cause I'm, this is all makeshift. Like I'm at the dining room table at this point. Yeah. So. Yeah. Like, like, hoovering the floor behind me, like, moving like all of us around, trying to look dead smart. Um, and then, yeah, all these people come in. We've made it do an hour. We stayed off for an hour and a half. And look, I know a couple of people dropped off, but on the, on the whole, basically everyone stayed till the end. And I remember <laughs> what a rush. Like, we said goodbye. Couldn't believe we just had that many people come and stay for mm. our webinar where we just spoke about sales and shared tips and tricks and played call recordings and role play objections. And we we're like, we have to do this again. Mm. So sure enough, we did it next week. We did it next week. We did it. And we ended up doing like 11 of these webinars, including like the 11th was like a take that greatest hits tour. We just <laughs> rolled out the <laughs> stuff that was most popular. <clears throat> Um, and you know, initially it was every week, and then it, it did start to become quite intense. Like, so we end up, I think it started to become a once every two weeks, and it was once a month. But we got a level of these webinars out, and we did off the back of that. So many people like just reached out to us and said, like, this this sounds ridiculous, this deal. I'm not trying to compare myself. These are genuinely things that just live long in the memory. People mm. were to me like we were like the Joe Wicks for sales. Like doing, nice. doing something yeah, that people yeah. to do. We were telling people telling us like like that's what they look forward to. Like they they were like some people just lived at home alone. Do you know what I mean? Like they could come to our webinar, they could learn stuff, network and engage. And it was it was I caught like hairs in the back of my neck. Really. It was incredible. Like I'm mm. proud of what we did. And I felt like we generally helped a lot of people through tough time. Yeah. Um and then off the back of that. I will take the credit for the idea. Um, in, in fact, on my LinkedIn, like, there's the screenshot of like how I started to how it's going. Yeah. Sent the lands. I said like, we should write a book. Like, yeah. we, we've got all this material now. We do this every day. Let's write a book, but let's not write a theory book because we know. But let's write a playbook. Like, mm. I, I want step-by-step guide on how to make a couple, like word for word, what you say, why you say it. I want emails and templates and frameworks. I want voicemails, how to leave them. I want text messages, how to write them. I, I want a guide that basically for anybody that doesn't have a manager that helps them yeah. tactically, they can literally pick up their book, 
flick, 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 flick to the chapter. This is how you do it. Yeah. In a really easy to read format in a real no no like fluff. It just makes sense. Um yeah. And in terms of who the book's for, I'll let you do the honors, Neil. If you yeah. open it up, you'll you'll see the like who the book's for. I'll let you read that out. Is this the one at the beginning for every salesperson? Yeah. Yeah. <clears throat> okay. Get my uh presenter voice on. For every salesperson who's stared at the phone, too scared to pick it up, who's had their emails ignored, who's given ghosted by their prospects, who's been told to fuck off on a cold call, this one's for you. Was that okay? Perfect. And, and that, look, that's who the book's for, right? Anybody that just struggles with aspects of sales, hmm. doesn't have access to someone that can help them, wants that go-to guide. Like In my head, it lives next to you. And like, hmm. that's why I love seeing, you know, when I, when people tag me in posts and it's like filled with post-it notes yeah, and it's like actionable and like they can just go back. Like that's what the book's for. It's all part of the mission. Like, I, like that is what I'm just compelled to doing. Sounds yeah. is bloody hard. It's full of yep. miserable moments, but yeah. you can crack it. Um, you've got to do a lot yourself, right? Hmm. As the individual, but you can crack it. And I just want to help people get better at it because- of the things that it could lead to and the books a key part of that and yeah i i do get really humbled when people talk about it because I, I do sometimes out of minding it was like two and a half years ago but hmm. yeah, it's, it's it's done really well i'm really proud of it i love that and also to say you now have an online course version of this uh of the of problem prospect is that right could you tell us more yes no christ very good point um <laughs> so about six months ago we had this idea that people love the book but not everyone's a reader right like like you say right not everyone's yeah, yeah. a reader and we haven't done an audio version because i'm i'm from essex stew's from sunderland rich is from newcastle the book reads like one person although we wrote it like individually and stitched together an audio version of us three would be awful <laughs> we just haven't got the accent <laughs> to that so we thought why don't we though make a video course where so there's three other minute one is about pitching one's about cold calling and one's about emailing um we created these online courses that basically we talk you through so you can buy the packet the program yeah there's I tell you there how many lessons are there it's, it's like uh, 11. Put it there. There's, there's seven lessons on how to pitch there's 11 lessons on how to cold call six on how to write effective emails the videos vary in length, but I, I think it's got it there in terms. Of, I think it's like four plus hours. Don't quote me yeah. on that. I'm sure it's say, but of content that is pre-recorded, you can buy for a one-off fee. It's yours to keep. And yeah, three of us take you through kind of like the, the book, but in more detail. It's like two and a half years later, so it's seven and a half years worth of more experience, so to speak. And yeah, we try and bring that. I think what we did well with the webinars was more personality to it. Like we're not afraid to take the piss out of each other, to throw ourselves under the bus, to laugh at the at the, the dark spider sounds. <laughs> we try and do that in the in the, in the course as well. Um, so yeah, we released that. Yeah, um, <laughs> we, we released that um, about yeah three four months ago, and it's done really well. Like, I think we had um, you know like five hundred purchases in the first couple of days. Wow, um, that's cool. Since then, and I think um, coming back to another humbling moment. So a lot of us, uh, my audience here, may be listening. They may be totally unaware of problem prospecting, or they could be fanatics of it as well. 
And obviously, I think I think a question a lot of people ask is when there's these sales authors or these people that create content or course and stuff out, how much of this shit actually did they do? And how much of it is true to their sales experience? And, you know, whatever worked for them may not work for other people. But the bit that I want to add into this as to why am I a believer of the majority of the stuff that you've done in sales, Mark, is for our audience, it might be unbeknownst to them, is I was once your prospect. I was once your customer many years ago, right? So if we're coming out of the pandemic with Happy Selling, I was relaunching my business as a sales trainer. And I would normally do like a seven-week course where it's an online Zoom and I've got my whiteboard, which is still behind me, and I still do this. And uh, funny enough, Stuart Taylor was the SDR that was chasing my ass for a couple of months. He'd always call me, he would cold call me, and I could not not take the call. Just the way he spoke to me, the way he did it, I was just like, I can't fuck with that. So I had the conversation and I entertained it. And he finally got me into a point where I was booked in for the demo, right? And I was walked through the platform by myself and I met this this Mark Akers and I was like, oh, that was this guy, right? And I was sitting there as a skeptical prospect would be, as you're not going to teach me nothing new. I've seen so much tech. I've seen the likes of Gong, you know, all these social conversation intelligence tools. I was like, yeah. But the, th- the thing with Mark, which really piqued me, was this was the first time a British gentleman was working for a British tech company based in the Northeast, which wasn't really known for startups back then, if I'm honest with you. I was mainly, Jules' process was just like, every time I got off the call, I was like, how the fuck did he do that? He's really good at that, that opener, those questions that he was asking me. And every time I threw an objection back at Mark, he could just throw it back to me and handle it with ease and finesse. And then... um truth be told, he took me through a sales cycle and he did something which I'd never done before, which was called the yes or no call, right? So he presented the solution, you know, talked about my requirements, recapped them well, spoke to me as a solopreneur with my own training SDR business and how the solution at the time of France could help with all those sort of things. And then we got to the yes or no call where it's just, I had to make a decision. It was a 15 minute call and I can still remember the calendar entry in my diary. And I, I bought and I just sat there just like, I want to do what he does. How the hell did he do that? How did he close me? Right. I was a salesperson watching another sales professional do it. Uh, and anyway, cut a long story short, was a customer for Refract. Admittedly, my project flopped because I didn't sell it. I tried to sell it like Mark. I tried to be you in my sales cycles to my customers. And to be honest, I sold it to a customer that wasn't a good fit. I can now see that in hindsight. But the experience was great in itself. And you know what? I became big fans of Refract. I was still, you know, uh, a testimonial. I was still singing its praises. I was still pointing people in your guy's direction. Didn't care if I got commission off it or not. And I just loved the way that you guys did sales because it wasn't like the challenger sale. It wasn't like spin selling by Neil Rackham. It was it was this British new age thing. And I could finally understand why a lot of my network and SDRs were harping on about this book because I was like, yeah, this shit works. It's practical not just theoretical right Um, and then something beautiful happened mark so uh (laughs) that magnetic thing of kevin bills because i remember two or three years ago there was this discussion about neil potentially joining refract and admittedly truth be told i said at that point no because i'm focused on this thing called happy selling and this is my vision this is my baby this is what i want to do i can't go back to being a full-time employee um And then if we go back October last year, Kevin and Mark come back to me one day, they write me an email and say, Neil, do you have time for a quick chat? 
And I was like, okay, here's the Kevin Beals thing and everything. And I jump on a call with both Mark and Kevin um, and they start talking to me about sales coaching. So the story goes, if you don't mind me telling it, Mark, no. was um, Neil, you know, we've just exited Refract uh, and we're thinking about our next startup. I was like, bloody hell already, you guys don't take a break or rest. Uh, and basically what they were saying was like, we've built conversation intelligence, you know, Refract became a Lego with the acquisition and it's done very well. Um, but a problem that we kept seeing, Neil, was we built the tech for coaching calls, but a lot of our customers kept asking us, do you have anybody that does the actual coaching for these calls in this technology? And you obviously always had to keep going back and saying, no, we don't, we just provide the tech. And then you said, okay, we've seen this gap where people need sales coaching. And they asked me, what are my thoughts on this? And I said, as an SDR trainer, I still have clients that do sales training, but more recently, I've been working with sales managers that are first time managers. They want to pick my brains and they want coaching on how to be a better manager. And I said, I freaking get it. I totally understand. I think this is a wicked space to jump into. But I'd like to put it back to you, Mark. Like you was at the cusp of, you know, this pilot, this new business you're about to go. It wasn't public then. How did Kevin bring you into that discussion? How did he magnetically pull you into this to become like, you know, co-founder head of sales of this business? Yeah, so it must have been lack of options over people to start off with. But uh, <laughs> I, so I mean, yeah, I've worked with Kev for I think recently twelve years. Hmm. I think about right. And um, one day he invited me to his house, and I did, I did think I thought bloody hell, what's going on here? Like I've been hmm. in his house a few times, but invited me to his house, and he said, you know, look. I'm I'm leaving um, a Lego which got acquired by Refract was there for a couple of years. He said, I'm, mm. "I'm I'm leaving. Are you happy in the role?" And I wasn't unhappy. Yeah, you know, I I wasn't unhappy. I I worked with two of my very good friends in Rich and Stu, and mm. oh, that that's so important that working with people that genuinely care. Like I spend more time with my colleagues. Than I do with my son Monday to Friday, and that's not like a sad <laughs> yeah. reality of life, yeah, yeah. right? So I was working with two of my really good friends, and actually, I liked a lot of people that we worked with. I don't know if that's the same. <laughs> I liked a lot of people I worked with, but I was a bit bored. Hmm. We got acquired, and and like I don't really need to get into all that. Like Lego were great, like they were great for me. Like they were great for the business. They was the perfect company to acquire us etc but it wasn't it wasn't me do you know what i mean like it, what it just didn't satisfy me but i was still very passionate about the mission right and and that and that mission i suppose is slightly different like you know a, a lego is sales neighbors incredible product we've got it like, I, I love mm. it. but yeah. sales neighbor the fact was called coaching it was about mm. coaching and like i say the mission was how how do we help sales reps get better? They have lots of sales calls. What if we could help the manager review and coach those calls? Wouldn't the sales rep get better? Amazing. That was the mission. I was passionate about that. I was passionately telling managers, you, know, you need this software because your sales reps having conversations that you're not listening to. How hmm. can we coach them? They're going to keep making mistakes. They're not going to hit the targets that you're setting of them. They're not going to fill their potential. But therein lies the problem. We Whilst, look, largely successful at Refract, you know, 
and whatnot. But we didn't solve their problem, not completely, because we relied on the manager. First of all, the manager could buy refract and have all the wood in the world, all the mm. wood in the world to coach their reps out of schools. Here's the problem. One, coaching is more than just coaching calls. You you know that, right? Yes. There's so many things you coach a rep on. It's not just their sales conversations. Secondly, even if they've got all the wood in the world, it doesn't mean they've got all the time in the world, right? Like they're busy, right? Like they're not measured on coaching. When they report to their boss, it's not what's your KPIs for coaching looking like? What's your forecasting for coaching? What's your coaching pipeline? It's deals, it's KPIs, it's revenue. Mm. So coaching calls can wait till tomorrow, right? Mm -hmm. Let's just get this crazy month out of the way. Oh, this call yeah. is awful. Let's get out of the way. Yeah. So even if you've got all the wool in the world, it doesn't mean you've got all the time. Yeah. And then here's the uncomfortable truth that some admit, some don't, and some don't know that they don't have this. They don't have the skill, mm. right? I'm happy to admit I'm one of these people, as are 99.99% of sales leaders. Hmm. I was a good rep. I got promoted, right? Probably because if they didn't promote me, someone else would, right? Yeah. And that doesn't make you a great coach. That doesn't mean you're great at developing people. Like That is a skill. Hmm. So even though we were selling refract, it all come down to the manager. Did they have the will? Did they have the skill? Did they have the time? And it's more than just that as well. So we never really solved that problem. And they bothered me. Anyway, I go to Kev's house. He's asking me if I'm happy. I'm saying, you know, but sort of like somewhat aware of, you know, who I'm speaking to. He didn't mm. tell me he's leaving. I'm like, oh, okay. Um, and he says, I am thinking about starting my next venture. This may or may not be right for you. Tell me what you think. Like, what what would you be looking for? Was the question. And this is a genuine moment. I said, mm. "Well, you'd have to be selling to salespeople. Like, this is my world. These are my people. I, mm. When I speak to people, they sell to like I've done this by the way, like HR people. It's not for me. Mm. When I speak to people and they sell to marketers, it's not for me. Mm. I like selling to sales leaders." <laughs> So I said, well, I've got to be selling the sales leaders. That This is my world. These are the people that I, I best relate to. Just got to do that. Okay. Well, I went, well, I'm really passionate about sales coaching. So I, I really want to continue helping people to hit the goals at the set of them, fulfill their potential, earn as much money as possible. I, I want, I want, I've always wanted anyone I work with and everyone I meet, to take as much money out of the companies as possible, mm. put it in their pockets and do mm. that because they deserve it, because they they've hit targets and exceeded, right? Like want people to be wealthy. Um so he sort of just had this half smile. He went, tell me about and he turned his laptop around and mm. he said, My sales coach. And I literally like looked at it, it was almost like a magic trick, like he'd changed the <laughs> yeah. And I looked at him, and honestly, I was kind of like, uh, this is kind of real time, right? Imagine the laptop turns around, like, I'm in, let's go. <laughs> That's what I said. Right? Yeah. We, didn't, we didn't talk about like percentages, salary, start dates. It was wow. Like, yeah. and and you know what? Like, lucky me. I, I do know I'm really lucky. Like, don't get me wrong, Neil. I've worked hard, right? I've, I've done the shit jobs. Like, I've worked in a calf, I've worked in a bacon packing factory. I had a bloody paper round from 13 that was up three big eels. I've mm. done the shit jobs at Sunderland Football Club. Like I've had I've had I've done the shit I've done the shit jobs, right? 
But equally, lucky me, this is someone that has, has founded and exited two businesses. I know him. I work with him. I trust him. I love him. Hmm. He's saying to me, do you want to come and do this with me? Oh, I am so aware I'm on his coattails. So mm-hmm. aware of that. But as I say, you know, that, that comes back down to I took these risks early on. You know, if I, if mm-hmm. I didn't go to university, if I didn't go to Sunderland, if I didn't get a job with the football club, I wouldn't have met my wife. I wouldn't have, I wouldn't have met Kev. And like, there, there's so many other examples where I've literally just said, I'll do that when mm-hmm. I haven't got a bloody clue how to do it, like the webinar, like writing the book. Yeah. like posting content on LinkedIn. Like so many things where I've just gone, I will do this even though I don't know how to, and that's where it's led me to. Yeah, I was just like, I am in. Really appreciate the opportunity. And, and look, I'm not, it's not as much as self-limited belief. I know I bring a lot to the table of my sales coach. I know that. Yeah. But I also know that I'm really lucky to have this opportunity and just grabbed it with two hands and, and it's been incredible, like, I've launched in January, so you know, yeah. eight, eight months active. But the couple of months before that, we were working on bonuses with, with our blessing and you know, doing bits and bobs on the side. So, yeah, it's been a great maybe 10 months, 11 months, and like that. And I wholeheartedly agree. And I've been very lucky and fortunate to be on this journey with you as well, Mark, because I think when we had that meeting back in October and you guys pitched me the idea of myself, I immediately said, Yeah, I'm in. Let's fucking do it. You know, and it started off with me doing a little bit of a pilot, working with some of our earlier customers and testing this model out and then launching in January. I was so freaking proud to put it on my LinkedIn. And a bit of imposter syndrome hit me as well, because for the first time, I had two gentlemen that were propositioning an idea to me where, you know, it would work around my calendar. It'd still help me retain my business of happy selling and be a freelance coach with yourselves. I was just like, what's their agenda? Like, where's the catch in all of this? And you know what? 10, 11 months on, I still haven't found a catch. And Mark said to me, he said, Neil, you know, in a couple of months' time, I'm going to ask you the question, like, were you happy that you made this decision? And within a week of us going live in public, I was like, yeah, this is me. I freaking love this, right? And I'm still very, I, I have to tell it to you every time I meet you face-to-face when I come into Newcastle, I'm still pinching myself, bro, because I get to wake up every morning and do something which is helping salespeople, having people come to you that want help, um, taking bits of advice, but also learning from them. Uh, and yeah, you know, 10, 15 years of working in sales and tech companies, this is the coolest tech company I've got to work with, besides my own as well. But it's been fun. Um, but as we're coming towards uh, the end of the show, the one thing I do want to remind all of our listeners, watch and subscribe. So Mark's LinkedIn profile will be in the show notes if you want to connect with him and pick his brain. I'm going to be putting links to Problem Prospecting, the book, as well as the new course. And equally, if you want to find out more about my sales coach and one-to-one personal coaching for either yourselves as an individual or as a group, as a team, we're going to be putting links so you can find out more or even book a call with a team to learn more about it. But as we're coming towards the end of this great journey, I think, Mark, we're going to have to probably book in another part two because there's so many other things I want to talk about. But a question that I'd like to ask you, I normally ask people, like, what's the three bits of advice that you would give to your younger version of yourself? But let's reframe this a little bit. Imagine your son sales dad to sales dad comes to you and says dad i want to work in sales and he's adamant that that's what he wants to go and do what three bits of advice would you give to your son who's just said to your dad i want to work in sales what would you say to him good question um so i mean first of all i'd be incredibly proud if he wanted to be in sales i'd love to know what the sales space will look like 
maybe 15, 20 years. But yeah. I think the first thing is I would make sure we knew that I was proud of that decision because I do believe sales is a skill. And and you know what, Neil? As I've got better at selling, I've got better as a, as a human in the sense mm. of like I have better conversations with my wife, better conversations with my dad. I can apply this to everyday life situations like yeah. you know to, to 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 communicate better right it sounds is communication it, it's it's not selling it's communicating and helping people to buy because they want to that that's that's the bottom line right but one be really I'd be really proud of it and I'd tell him like what an awesome career but it is a career it is a skill and he mm. needs to study hard right you you can't you almost need to go back to being a student right and mm. I think again academically i was good at that i did become like a, a student of sales again so that's the first advice like be proud of it but, but study hard at it and, and you can learn this stuff like there is nothing that i do that is not something that anyone can do like there's no like tricks it's just you just learn it and the second thing would be to it would be around like the financial side of things like to one be careful with commission so i always flipped commission around i I saw commission as what i had to cover my basic costs and my salary was my bonus so at the start of every month i wrote a list of all my bills and Hmm. that included things like a football ticket um but when i booked meetings i would then tick them off one at a time so like my commission was was paying for my life and Hmm. my salary was my bonus money and i was frugal with my salary like commission, you are more like, you know, let, let's just say, mm. what is your salary? You are more through. It's like a bit of a mind yeah. So I think that'd be the second bit of advice. And I think, I think the third bit, I think, look, I think everyone feels this way, like, but is do switch off. I, I definitely have proper dad guilt that there are too many times where I go to my laptop. I'm on my phone working. I take calls in the evening. I, Sunday night, I'm thinking about tomorrow, looking at my calendar. You know, like, I think how hard I worked during the pandemic. Like, and look, I, I, I'm not sure that people work much harder than me, right? But mm. my world, my benchmarks, I worked hard, right? Mm. Like, my son's downstairs, but I'm, I'm working, I'm still trying to sell. Mm-hmm. I definitely feel like there are times where I get the balance wrong. And mm-hmm. that's the most important things in the world to me. Mm-hmm. I think it's an awful word to call them. The most mm-hmm. important people in the world to me. <clears throat> and let me tell you, I was coaching someone the other day and she'd been let go. And she was heartbroken that she'd been let go. And she, she explained how she'd moved to a new city for this job. She worked really hard. And, and the line that bothered me was she'd stop seeing her grandma. Mm. and that it really all my grandparents are dead right i was really mm. lucky right? they like the first one was i was 25 and then like 30 32 33 right so i had a lot of time with my grandparents but i just i had to just sort of stop the coaching session and say to her like as someone who hasn't got grandparents like what are you doing like, mm-hmm. this no job is more important than this family yeah. So yeah, that's my third point in a in a in a roundabout way is sales is all consuming. You know, I look mm-hmm. at some of my friends that can literally go, Oh, five o'clock on a Friday, computer's oh, off. Yeah. 
no concept of an email over the weekend until nine o'clock Monday morning. Part of me envies that. Part of me, that's not for me. Like, I'm not wired that way. But it is, it's get the balance right. Like, your family and friends have to come before deals, before responding to emails. And yeah. I think that's that's the key thing that I'm constantly trying to work on is is switch off sometimes. And so, yeah, be, be proud of the skill and work at it. Be sensible with your money. Um, yeah. Like, invest, invest in yourself. Like, of course, like, you know, Get a coach like that. That is a key. Like, get someone. You don't have to pay for it either. Just get someone mm. that can be a mentor figure to. Kev was my mentor for many yeah. years before I, I I paid for a coach. So lucky. And then yeah, the first thing is just on the pallets. It's just a job. You know what I mean? Like, there's far more important things in life. Solid bits of advice. And before we come to a conclusion, are there any shout outs that you'd like to give on today's show, Mark? Um, well, I feel like bloody Kev's had loads. So, I mean, like he's, he's just an poor person. Um, I didn't think at the start of this, I talked about him once, let alone mentioned his name 10 times. <laughs> um, I, I think other than that, look, the, I think the people that, that have just been really important to me in my career would, would be Rich and Stu, Stu and Rich, however you want to, whatever you want to put it, but both really important for different reasons. Um, and, and I feel like we've been on that journey together I think I've said this before, like we could sit in a room and nobody else would get it. Like hmm. we know exactly what we've been through over the last 10 years and the ups and downs. And like, there is just a special bond there. So I think that my two co-authors, two good friends and, and Kev um, from a professional sense and then that uh, should never listen to this, but it'd be a big mistake not to give a big shout out to the wife and the boy. 100%. And I can co-sign to Michelle and your lad because I was lucky enough to be in one of Mark's sales calls in a car journey whilst you guys are on holiday and i really had to thank michelle for allowing mark to take that call so definitely shout out to to the acres family but mark it's been an absolute privilege and pleasure to finally have you on the show and i'd love to have you back on as a future guest and a big thank you to our listeners and watchers so if you've been listening to this chapter in your local podcast platform please make sure that you give us a rating and a subscribe and if you've been watching this on youtube please make sure that you like comment and subscribe below and as mentioned, with all of our guests that come on the show, their LinkedIn profiles will be in the show notes so that if you want to connect with them or pick Mark's brain on anything he's discussed today or maybe anything that he may have missed out that you want to learn more about, feel free to reach out to Mark. But Mark, absolute pleasure to have you on, sir. I will see you in the next Zoom or in our next team meeting with my sales coach. Have a great day, sir, and happy selling. Thanks, Neil. Thank you. Thank you for listening to the SDR Disco Call podcast today. We would like to get this message out to more and more sales development reps, so please like, comment, and share in your local podcast provider. If you don't want to miss a show, you can always send a blank email to SDR Disco Call, one word, at bcast, which is B-C-A-S-T dot email, and you'll be added to our mailing list. We're also on the lookout for new guests, so if you work in the world of sales development as an SDR, BDR, MDR, or ADR, and feel that you have an important message or story to share, feel free to email us at podcast at happyselling.io, and we'd love to have you on board.